Well, we want to continue the uh, brief little series I began uh, several weeks ago on uh, healing uh, for the soul. Uh, we've already looked at grief, and we've looked at uh, last uh, two Sundays, we looked at depression. And uh, today I want to look at worry. And the reason I selected worry is because worry is what kills thanksgiving. And so we want to learn how to convert a worry into thanksgiving uh, this morning, and especially as we approach uh, the celebration of thanksgiving. So I hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were coming in, and, um, uh, and I trust you'll use those sermon notes. As I've shared with you many times before, I provide this for you, so it's something that you can take with you uh, once you leave the service. And I would encourage you to incorporate uh, the notes into your uh, devotions through the week. Uh, utilize them as an opportunity to reflect on the truth that you heard, uh, to further uh, look at the uh, verses that are there in your sermon notes, and then asking God uh, to bring your life in harmony with this truth. Again, I don't know how many times I've shared this, but listening to a message is never change the first person. It's what you do with the message, responding to the truth. So again, I, I trust you find the sermon notes helpful, and I trust you're using them beyond uh, Sundays. So uh, look first at uh, just defining uh, worry, defining worry. The word worry in our English Bibles is merimneo in the Greek, and it literally means to divide or to distract. Uh, worry uh, from a biblical perspective, is concern over what might or might not happen in the future, which distracts me from seeing God's provision in the present. So worry is concern, being so focused, absorbed on what might or might not happen in the future, that I become blinded to seeing God's provision in the present. I don't realize that God is a present reality. He's with me right now uh, to help me. And of course, this results in a spirit of ingratitude towards God. So again, just to repeat, worry is concern over what might or might not happen in the future, which distracts me from seeing God's provision in the present right now, resulting in a spirit of ingratitude toward God. Now look with me at uh, five characteristics of worry. Five characteristics of worry. Uh, and the first one is viewing my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. Viewing my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. Uh, remember our study of the book of Hebrews that we just com concluded uh, a couple of months ago. And especially when we examine chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, we discovered there that God continually puts His child in a position where you have to weigh the seemingly uh, impossibility of your circumstances over against the impossibility of God breaking His Word. And then the choice is yours. Will you believe your situation is impossible 
and cave in to worry and fear? Or will you believe in God for whom nothing is impossible and put your trust in Him? You know, a great example of this is uh, in Second Chronicles 20. Uh, that's not there in your sermon notes. Uh, but it's a story that most of you are very familiar with. Uh, the nation of Judah uh, comes under attack uh, from a much superior military force. Uh, Jehoshaphat uh, was the king at that time. And he gathers the people together and they basically have a prayer meeting. And it's a, it's a beautiful prayer. I wish we had time to uh, turn there and walk through that entire prayer. But in that prayer, Jehoshaphat acknowledged, he said to God, Power and might are in thy hand. Power and might are in thy hand, and no one can stand against thee. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Isn't that great? So he recognizes, you know, my situation doesn't look good. But he took his eyes, what, off the situation, put them on God to put his trust on him. So worry is when I view my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. And that brings us right to the second characteristic of worry, and that is focusing on the size of my problem instead of the size of my God. Focusing on the size of my problem instead of the size of my God. A good example of this would have been our message last Sunday when we were looking at Elijah and his struggle with depression. And you remember after his great victory on Mount Carmel where he courageously stood alone for God. uh, Then he, just within hours, he's running for his life. As if God did not exist and running for his life from a woman, from Jezebel. And, of course, what had happened? He had taken his eyes off of God. And in those moments, Jezebel had actually become bigger than his God. And that's what happens to us when we worry. Another great example, uh, the children of Israel at uh, Kadesh Barnea. Uh, God delivers them from Egypt. His intention is to take them into the promised land. And remember, they get right to the edge. They send out spies uh, to uh, uh, look over the land. The spies return. There were 12 spies. And you remember, 10 of them gave a a very bad report where Joshua and Caleb, uh, again, men of faith, men of courage, they they said, we need to go uh, forward. But do you remember what those spies said that struck fear in the hearts of the people? They said, all the men whom we saw in it were men of great size and we became like grasshoppers uh, in our own sight and in their sight. See again, the size of the problem was much greater than their perspective on God. The other side of the coin, this is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Uh, It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It relates to Jonathan. Uh, Saul's son, who is the close friend of David. Uh, The Philistines have invaded uh, Israel, and uh, they've come up against them. And Jonathan, he steals out by himself with his armor bearer. So just Jonathan and his armor bearer. And he comes uh, against an entire garrison of Philistines. And he makes this amazing statement Before he attacks this entire garrison 
by himself with his armor bearer. He says, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. It's obvious his focus was what? Not on the size of that Philistine garrison, but the size of his God. And as he placed his faith in the size of his God, he had the courage to go forward without fear, without worry, without anxiety. And if you're familiar with the story, he just blindly rushes them. Uh, the Bible says he, alone with his armor bearer, killed 20 of the enemy's soldiers, and then God brought an earthquake. And, uh, and the earthquake struck fear into the hearts of the Philistines, and they became confused, and they began to flee. And then the rest of Israel's army came, and uh, they, uh, did waste, uh, they put them to waste. So bottom line, focus on the problem and what happens. We've all been there. We've all experienced this. Focus on the problem and it only becomes what? Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you focus, and, and God, what happens? God becomes what? Smaller, smaller, smaller. Resulting in worry. On the other hand, when you focus on God, He becomes bigger and bigger. As your problem becomes smaller and smaller, which strengthens your faith in God. Now, now please notice something. These first two points on the characteristics of worry, emphasize how worry colors your perspective on life circumstances. In points 3, 4, and 5, notice how worry affects also your attitudes and your actions. It's just not, just not your perspective, but then it filters into attitudes and actions. 3, I find myself complaining about my inability Instead of trusting God's ability. I find myself complaining about my inability instead of trusting God's ability. So I, you know, I view my circumstance as an impossibility. You know, God's not in the picture. I'm so focused on the problem, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. God gets smaller, smaller, smaller. I get smaller and smaller. And then I find myself complaining, grumbling, murmuring, agitated, frustrated, upset. Uh, about my inability instead of trusting God's ability. And then notice where that leads, the fourth characteristic of uh, worry, relying on human ingenuity instead of divine intervention. Now, I have to strike out on my own. And that's why worriers tend to be master manipulators. Uh, because of their failure to relinquish control to God, to trust God, they feel like they have to take matters into their own hands. And they get involved in human ingenuity. They'll stretch the truth. They'll tell little white lies. Uh, they'll try to manipulate circumstances, finances, relationships, anything and everything. Because again, they're being more motivated by fear and anxiety than faith in God. And then look at the fifth thing. Complaining it leads to complaining, murmuring about what I do not possess instead of thanking God for what He has provided. And that's why worry kills thanksgiving. It, 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 it brings a person to a point of deep ingratitude. You know, a great example of, of all three of these last points, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and let me just briefly rehearse the story f for you. 
you, you remember Jesus is ministering, and the people are gathering to him out uh, in the wilderness area uh, where food is not readily available, and they're just there by the thousands. And it's getting near the end of the day. And the scripture tells us that Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them a question. He says, where can we buy bread that these might eat? And then it's interesting what the Bible says. And don't miss this. In the Gospel of John it says, Jesus asked them this to test them. Because he knew what he was intending to do. He knew what he was going to do. Now, folks, that's a good word for us. We may get in difficult situations and circumstances, and we may not have a clue about what we should do. But Jesus is never caught by surprise. Jesus never panics. Jesus has the plan. And I don't care what you're going through right now. I don't care how difficult it is, how perplexed you are. Jesus has a plan. And so the key is what? Staying close to Jesus and following Him uh, through that dark time, through that perplexity, uh, to the answer to the solution that He's going to provide for you. Well, the disciples flunked the test. They said, you know, the first thing they do, they, they look at their little treasury pouts and they said, man, we don't even have enough money just for a few of these folks to have uh, bread to eat. And then they begin murmuring and complaining. They said, Jesus, just send them away. I mean, the place is dark. This place is, is desolate. Uh, just send them away. You know, get rid of them. We, we just don't have it. And then Jesus turns to his men. He had to have some great humor, Jesus. And he says, no, nah, no, nah, don't send them away. You feed them. What? Us feeding them? We just told you. We don't have any money. We don't have the, the resources. And, of course, who's standing right in front of them? The great I am. The one who said, I am what? The bread of life. They're, they're, just, they're just flunking the test, missing. And just like we do when we get in situations, again, that seem so difficult or, or such an impossibility, and we forget the great I am is with us. And whatever we need, he is. And, and, and just as it was a test for them, it's a test for us. Will we trust Him? Will we place our confidence in them? Well, again, they've, they've flunked the test. They're failing miserably. And then Jesus tells them, He gives them a command. He said, would you just please, for a moment, would you guys just spread out over the crowd and just see what's there and bring it back to me? Well, they spread out. And then that's when Andrew finds the little kid. And you remember, he's got his five loaves of bread. He's got the two fishes. And Andrew brings the kid with his little sack lunch to Jesus. And then, and I've always thought about that. You know, Andrew could have been the hero of this story. You know, finding this kid, but he just opened his mouth and put his foot in it. He says to Jesus, well, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these? For so many people. You know just expressing his unbelief. And then of course you know the story. How Jesus said. Give me the bread. Give me the fish. And then he blessed it. And he broke it. And what? Did a great miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000. You're familiar uh, with 
of the story. And, 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 and see, that's what worry does to us, what it did to those disciples. It, it gets us grumbling, that ingratitude, that complaining, that, that we don't have what we need instead of thanking God for what He's provided. And folks, realize all God ever asks you to do is surrender what He's provided to you and then He'll do the rest. He'll make up the difference uh, for you. So those are the five characteristics of worry. Viewing my circumstances as a human impossibility instead of a divine opportunity. I begin to focus on the size of my problem instead of the size of my God. And then that leads to complaining about my inability instead of trusting God's ability, relying on human ingenuity instead of divine intervention, and complaining about what I do not possess instead of thanking God for what He has provided. Now look very quickly, and I'm going to run through this uh, very fast, the consequences of worry, the consequences of worry. Six, these are all found in Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6 was Christ's statement on worry and anxiety. Probably the greatest statement. Well, it is the greatest statement in the Bible on this particular topic. And the first thing that we learn from Jesus is that worry divides my allegiance to God. Most of you, we normally yank this verse out of context. But when he said no man can serve two masters, it is in the context of a discussion on anxiety and worry. And what Jesus is saying, what worry demonstrates is that you are not trusting God alone. You're trusting God, but you're trying to hang on to some kind of security blanket in your life. It may be your marriage spouse. It may be your job. It may be a relationship. It could be, it, it could be any of a million things. It could be some very good things. But instead of trusting God alone, you're trusting God and this security blanket. And the reason you're anxious is because although God's reliable, this security blanket, you know, could be snatched from you at any moment. Uh, again, whether that would be your spouse, whether that would be your health, whether it would be finances, whatever it might be, your, your job. So we don't put our faith in things that we can touch and see and feel. We put our faith in God who is always reliable. So Jesus says, worry first divides my allegiance to God. If you are worrying, if you have struggling with anxiety, I can tell you right now, on the basis of God's authority, you have a divided heart right now. And you're not solely surrendered and trusting God. And so you need to identify that security blanket that you're trusting to bring you happiness and security in life. And you need to release that to God and trust Him alone. The second consequence of worry, worry keeps me from enjoying what I have. Jesus says, it's not life more than food in the body than clothing. In other words, when we focus on the things we want that we don't have, Again, it, it fosters the spirit of ingratitude where we do not enjoy what we do have. In other words, we're so focused on what we don't have, we miss what God has provided. We miss God's provision, which again, as we've emphasized, fosters the ingratitude. Third, worry makes me forget, and this is very important. We're going to discuss this a little bit uh, later. Worry makes me forget my worth. He says, are you not worth much more than they in other words, when you're eating up with worry and anxiety, you feel like what? That you have no worth. You begin to question God's love. It's just it's inevitable because you're so focused on the problem, you're missing God. And now you, I guarantee you're questioning God's love, you're questioning God's care, you're questioning God's ability because you're questioning your worth. 
Worry is completely, number four, worry is completely useless. Jesus said, can any of you, however much he worries, make himself even a few inches taller? Worry is absolutely useless. It doesn't produce a thing. Fifth, worry weakens my faith. He says, O men of little faith. And we've already seen why. Because in worry, you're not focusing on God. You're focusing on the problem, which diminishes your faith. And then six, which brings us to the tragedy of what this does to our testimony as believers. Worry is characteristic of the heathen. He says, why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned or deeply worried about them. In other words, you know, and, and that's exactly what's happening. You need to understand, when we worry, it, that worry is not a, a, uh, just a weakness. Worry is not a trivial sin. Because worry is a blow at the very integrity of God. See, when I worry... We never, no, we never consciously say this out loud, but what we're saying to God loud and clear, I'm saying, well, God, I know what your word says, but I just don't think you can pull it off. That's exactly what we're saying when we worry. And that's why he says you're, live, you're li- living like the heathen. You're living like an unbeliever when you worry in anxiety and do not put your trust in him. Now, converting worry into thanksgiving. Here's the heart of the message. And folks, uh, there's, there's no necessary order in this. And to be very honest with you, uh, all of these uh, six remaining points, and uh, I don't know that we'll get through all of them this morning. We'll see. We may. Uh, but these are just very personal to me. These are things I have learned in my 60-plus uh, years in grappling with worry and anxiety and trying to develop my trust in God. So I can honestly say what I'm about to share wasn't prepared in a study. It was prepared in life's difficulties and circumstances, going through a lot of anguish and perplexity, and I have found these truths to be a great consolation to my soul. And here's the first, and I think it really begins here. The foundation has to be laid here. I have to perceive how precious I am in the eyes of my Heavenly Father. I need to perceive... How precious I am in the eyes of my heavenly Father. In other words, it goes back to that issue of worth. That He deems me as one of great value. I don't understand that. The sinner that I am, is just the, it, just, it just magnifies His love, the greatness of His love. But reality is, I am precious from God's perspective. I'm the most precious thing there is to him. Look at Matthew 10, verse 31. Therefore, do not fear or do not be anxious. You are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the point Jesus is making in Matthew 10 is this. If God the Creator cares for the most insignificant of his creatures like a sparrow, how much more is he going to care for his own children? That's the point here. Uh, these verses are not in your... Notes, but in Luke 12, verse 24, we read, Yet God feeds them, referring to the birds of the air, and how much more valuable are you than the birds? And then in Matthew 10, 29 and 30, we read, He says, Are not two sparrows, two sparrows, sold for a cent, for one penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground 
apart from the Father's knowledge. It's talking about not dying, but that there's not a single sparrow. Think how many sparrows are in the world. And it says not a single sparrow can light on the ground. How many times a day do sparrows light on the ground? It says not one of them can light on the ground apart from your Father's knowledge. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. In other words, God is intimately acquainted with you, he's saying, as his child. And then Luke 12, 6 says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, folks, listen to this. This is a precious, precious truth. The word translated cent refers to an Assyrian, which was the smallest coin in circulation in Jesus' day, like our penny today. And notice, if you were listening careful, you could buy two sparrows for a single penny, for a single cent. But if the purchaser, if you notice, was prepared to spend two cents, you would think he would get what? Four sparrows. But no, he got five. In other words, he got a bargain. The extra sparrow was thrown in as having what? No value at all. And notice, even the forgotten sparrow is precious to God. Even the forgotten sparrow that has no value in the eyes of men can't fall to the ground without the Father's knowledge. Now listen, beloved, if God cares like that for a sparrow that has absolutely no value in the eyes of men, not even worth a penny, how much more will God care for those who have been bought with the priceless blood of His Son? That's how precious you are to God. Are you familiar with the song, His Eyes on the Sparrow? The second verse reads, Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubt and fear. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. If as God's child, you could ever perceive if you could ever perceive how precious you are in the eyes of your Heavenly Father, your worries would vanish in His love. You would have no difficulty relinquishing control of your life to God. You would know that you can roll all of your concerns on Him because He cares for you. So the first key in converting worry to thanksgiving is to perceive how precious you are in the eyes of your heavenly Father. And this brings us to our second key, which is very closely related. You purge ingratitude from your life by praise to God. You purge ingratitude by praise to God for who He is and what He has done for me. Now listen, beloved, the value of praise is simply this, from our perspective. The value of praise is it takes our eyes off of ourselves off of our circumstances, and places them on God in His love for us. And as we said earlier, the more you focus on God, the bigger He becomes. And the bigger He becomes, the greater you realize His love for you. The more your faith is strengthened and your problems begin to shrink. Now let me give you an assignment that will help you along these lines. Uh, 
beginning today, here's what I would recommend. If, if you're struggling with anxiety and worry, and you want to put into practice this, this second point, purging ingratitude out of your life by praising God for who He is and what He's done, beginning today to the end of the year, here's my challenge to you. Read every day Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It won't take you more than 30 to 60 seconds. Beginning today through the end of the year, read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Let me tell you something about Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. It is the longest single sentence in the Bible. You won't notice that in your English Bibles. In your English Bibles, they have periods in it. They break it up into sentences just for uh, clarity of thought and be able to more easily read it. But in the Greek text, when Paul wrote this, it is one single sentence. He takes off in verse 3 to bless, to praise God, and it is like he can't stop. He doesn't know how to land the plane. He just keeps going and going and going, thanking and praising God. And we're not going to take the time, don't have the time this morning to, to walk through this, read this, but I've broken it down for you. Uh, in verses 3 through 6, the emphasis on the Heavenly Father, how He chose you, if you're a child of God, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you're a follower of Christ, He chose you to be Christ's bride. He adopted you as His child, and He's accepted you as His beloved. You are the bride of Christ. He loves you as His bride. You are the child of the Father, adopted into His family, and He calls you beloved. That's how precious you are. And then in verses 7 through 12, the emphasis changes to the Son, to Jesus. And it says, the Son redeemed me through His blood, you'll see there. Forgave me of all my sins, and He's given me what? An eternal inheritance. And then in verses 13 and 14, now the focus is on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who has sealed me as God's possession, and the Holy Spirit, who He has given to me, is God's pledge that I am His forever and will never be lost. So I encourage you, beginning today, through the end of the year, take that 30, 60 seconds, and you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And then after you read it, just take a moment to then thank God. Thank God. Thank God for who He is, what He's done for, for you. Look at the third key. Per, pursue the priorities of my Heavenly Father. I'm to pursue the priorities of my Heavenly Father. One of the reasons we fall prey to anxiety and worry, is that our priorities are just not the same as God's. Uh, we focus too much on the material, on that which can be seen, that can be uh, touched. Look at Mark 4, verse 19, emphasizes this. Jesus said, And the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, if I'm not careful, I can so take my eyes of God, off, off God that I lose an eternal perspective. Now I'm living just for the temporal, just for the moment. I'm living for those things which I can see, which I can touch, that bring me gratification, that bring me pleasure. And Jesus says, when you get into that, 
you're going to be a prime candidate for worry and anxiety because all of those things rust. All of those things can get stolen. All those things can deteriorate. And reality, there's no true happiness in those things. You don't find happiness in things. You don't find your happiness in circumstances. You find your happiness in Jesus and in a relationship with Him and following Him. Look at Matthew 6.33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Please notice, this is a conditional promise. God is, this is what God is saying in this promise. It's not a blank check to get whatever you want. God's not a genie in a bottle. But what God is saying in this verse is, you are precious. You're my child. You're the bride of Jesus. And I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you now. And I have a glorious destiny for you throughout all eternity. That's how much I love you. And if you will seek me first. If you'll make me your greatest love. Your greatest passion. Your greatest pursuit. And to become like me. To walk hand in hand in agreement with you. I give you a guarantee you're never going to lack anything to accomplish the plan and purpose I have for your life. That's what he's saying. Look at the fourth thing. Let's go ahead and work through this quickly because I think you need to see it as a whole. Purpose to please God today. Purpose to please God today. And circle that word today several times. That is a key word and dealing with worry and anxiety. Notice Matthew 6.34 from the paraphrase, the message. I love the way it puts this. It says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. In other words, folks, you can't act on what may or may not happen tomorrow. All you can act on is today. So Jesus is saying, don't get so concerned about tomorrow that you miss today. You miss me today. You miss the relationships around you today. See, that's what happens in worry and anxiety. It not only destroys your relationship with God, it destroys your relationship with everybody around you. Because you're so focused out there that you've lost sight of today. You've lost sight of what God has provided you. To embrace those loved ones. To enjoy those loved ones. To enjoy the moments you have. So what happens with a worrier they don't do that. They spend their lives trying to manipulate everything like we talked about before. And then they come to the end of their lives and they look back with nothing but regret. Because they never gave themselves to that which was really important and precious. Because they lost every day. But they lost every day just one at a time. By getting so focused here. But they missed God here and everyone else around them. And then look at the fifth key. Practice the presence of God. Um, Jesus said this to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so, so many things. But only a few things are necessary. Really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken away from her. Circle the word chosen. Key word. 
That doesn't mean what Martha was doing was unimportant. It doesn't mean that we're not to live, lead lives of uh, service and, and ministry to others. But what Jesus is saying is that you have to make a choice that I'm the most important relationship in your life. And if I'm the most important relationship in your life, then you need to make the time to develop that relationship. And what happened with these two sisters, Mary made a choice that Mary, Martha did not make. Martha had the same opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet. I mean, how many, de- how many times does Jesus come into your personal home? I think that would be the time to shut things down and get at His feet to listen and to love and to adore Him. And so all I'm trying to say is there's a balance here, and we get all out of whack. Je- because Jesus is not our first love, because our focus is out here and not on Him, We go through a day, and we've never told him, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my children. Thank you for this that you have provided. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise you. I love you. And that's what he's saying. It's a choice. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You need to understand, giving thanks in all circumstances, don't miss this, it is a proclamation of your trust in God. It's you saying, God, I trust your promise that yes, you cause all things to work for good for your people and for your greater glory. I'm going to trust you for that. So, yes, this is painful, and yes, it hurts, and I don't understand, but thank you, because I know ultimately you're in control. You won't let anything touch my life unless you can use it to draw me closer to you, because as the psalmist said, nearness to God is my good. So anything that draws me to God, no matter how painful, that's good. And then the sixth truth. Pray for the provision of God. And this actually, uh, from the paraphrase message, might be my favorite little passage in this particular paraphrase. I've always loved this. It's meant so much to me. And and it's it's consistent with with the actual text as well. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. And let me just pause right there. All worry is, is meditating on your problems. God says, don't meditate on your problems. Meditate on me through praise and prayer. And that's why you have a choice. Whether you're going to meditate on your problems and just let them get big, or you're going to meditate on God, who He is, what He's done for you. He says, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. See, God realized we have concerns. It's not a sin to have concern. It's not a sin to know fear. It's not a sin to to even know worry. It's how you respond to the anxiety. How do you respond to the fear? Do Do I let it... Turn me from God, or do I let it turn me back to God to know His greatness, to know His goodness? And then He says, before you know it, 
a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Amen? Amen. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds what? My hand. Father, thank you for uh, what I trust has been very practical truth. Lord, we all struggle. I struggle with fear. I struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with it. I acknowledge that. But Lord, I thank you that you're teaching me. I trust you're teaching us together. We're in this battle of life together, but we thank you that your grace is adequate. And thank you that you use these struggles to drive us to you, uh, to come to realize who you are, to come to realize as never before your love for us. So Lord, open our eyes to help us see how precious we are to you. That we would purge our ingratitude with praise. And we trust you for that. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.